Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, through the Lord Jesus. Amen. As we've been moving through the season of Epiphany, uh, we've been encountering different aspects of God and how he makes himself known in the world. And so we talked about the Magi and God revealing himself to the nations. And last week we looked at the story of Jonah as this cautionary tale. God desires to make himself known through people, people like you and me. We get to be his hands, we get to be his feet and his mouth in the world and bringing his compassion. While Jonah offered us a cautionary tale last week about avoiding positions of superiority and power over others that demeans them, this week we have an experience of the church in Corinth and Paul's urge to set aside rights for the sake of loving one another. This letter we have that we often call 1 Corinthians, that that name is a little misleading. It's probably better to just call it 1 Corinthians, because it's not the first letter. There's ongoing correspondence between the people of Corinth and Paul. Uh, Many believe that this is at least the second letter. And as the Corinthians are expressing concerns and questions, Paul addresses them. And sometimes we get those things marked in our English translations with like quotation marks about things he's referencing that they wrote. One of those things, it seems, that we have today is about food sacrifice to idols. But if you ever read through 1 Corinthians, you may find it a bit confusing because Paul will say things like, an idol is nothing. It's nothing. So in one deal, big, one sense, eating food sacrificed to idols is no big deal. But then he'll say things like eating food sacrificed to idols is participating with demons. Don't do it. And gives very stern warnings about it. And then in other moments he says, you could sit down and have a meal with people and maybe that food was offered to idols. Maybe it wasn't. You don't really know. So just eat. Unless someone points out that was offered to an idol, then he says don't eat. Not just for your sake, but for the sake of their conscience. I mean, this can be pretty confusing, right? We're not going to address all of this today. What I want to look at, rather, is just the portion that Paul brings up in our reading today. A major concern for Paul throughout this letter is this matter of love and knowledge. Love and knowledge. He describes knowledge as something that puffs up. And love is something that builds up and strengthens bonds together. Knowledge inflates things like blowing up a balloon or think of, again, somebody inflating their chest with air, right? It makes them look bigger. It gives them maybe a bigger sense of importance, but it's just air. (laughs) It's insubstantial. Love, on the other hand, is not insubstantial. It's not a a puffing up. It's an intentional movement to build up and bring bonds together to support and show concern about others. It seeks to adhere people together in a relationship like the construction of a building. The people of God are the building, the temple of God. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So a bunch of the Corinthians have knowledge, Paul says, about idols. They know that idols aren't really anything that exists. They're statues of wood and stone. 
They understand that, sure, there are spiritual beings. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Sky rulers and these beings of rulers on the land. These, as Paul calls them, gods and lords. But none of them are actually God. And even if other people worship them as if they are God, it doesn't change the fact that there is only one God and one Lord in whom we live, move, and have our being, as Paul puts it. And so many have this knowledge. They have understanding that there is one God. They understand that food doesn't bring you closer to God. It doesn't take you away from God. So eating food sacrificed to an idol, which is nothing, isn't an issue, right? It's not morally wrong to eat food sacrificed to an idol because an idol has no real existence. And food, again, doesn't change our relationship with God. Sweet, right? Clear path forward. Do whatever you want when it comes to food in the city of Corinth. But this is knowledge. Puffs up, right? Doesn't build up. And for Paul, just because you can do something... Just because you have some sort of rights or freedoms, just because something isn't inherently wrong to do so, doesn't mean you should actually do it. No, if you did that, you could actually tear down your fellow follower of Christ by acting on that insubstantial, puffed-up knowledge. Instead, Paul points out, it could be better to restrain yourself It might actually be better to give up some of your rights in that situation, to not act simply because you have the right to do so, but rather act in a way that builds up your fellow Christians together. Let's flesh this out a little bit with what I think Paul seems to be up to. If you can go to the next slide, please. I don't think you would have thought you'd be seeing some ancient Corinthian architecture today, but there you go. Uh, This is a floor plan. Um, after archaeology has uncovered the temple to Asclepius, it's known as the Asclepion. On the left side uh, of that floor plan, you see a large kind of white rectangle shape, uh, and in the middle of that, a smaller rectangle, which is the temple proper, where the idol would be. On the left side is where the altar would be. So this is where the worship space was to the god Asclepius. On the right side, you'll see um, a courtyard, and I don't expect you to be able to read this text because it's pretty small on this screen, but this courtyard is surrounded by a roof, and if you look at the bottom, there's a cross-section of this because this floor plan took place on a hillside. So the temple is above, sort of on the second floor, the courtyard is off to the side, sort of down the hill a step or so. Um, Excuse me. Go ahead and go to the next slide. This one's going to hurt your eyes because I could not find a clear picture, so I apologize. Um, What we're doing here is just moving down a layer through the floors. So on the right side, it's still the courtyard, but you don't see the roof. On the left side, you no longer see the temple. You just see the dirt, if you will. But what I want to draw your attention to is between the courtyard and the temple are these three small squares with a bunch of other lines inside of them. Those are dining rooms dining rooms, okay? So between the temple to Asclepius and the courtyard are three dining rooms surrounded by dining couches, public dining rooms. The best we can kind of compare to today is it's like a restaurant today. Go ahead and go to the next slide. And I just popped off my microphone. Smooth moves, cool. So think of it this way. If every restaurant we had in the city here 
had two rooms, a kitchen and a dining room. But the kitchen was also a place of worship, a place where sacrifices to other gods were performed. Pagan rituals were carried out. Worship services to various idols took place. And the pasta and the meat and the wine that came out into the dining room, the restaurant eating area, all that food came from rituals that were being performed in the other room. Like as if Olive Garden, and I have nothing against Olive Garden at all, but for some reason it came to mind as an example today. Imagine if Olive Garden made wave offerings of pasta and olives and breadsticks before their god and they sacrificed chickens in the back to the god of chicken parmigiana and then brought out chicken parmigiana to the restaurant. Would it be okay to eat at the restaurant anymore? Like, could we as Christians go there and eat? According to Paul, knowledge says, yes, it's fine. Idols are nothing. Food does not bring us any closer or further away from God. Nothing morally wrong with it. And for the people of Corinth, this was a big deal. It was part of their regular lives. If you did not have access to a lot of food, temples would at times have festivals and the leftover food would be given out to the community. It was a source of food at times. If you were a Greek who converted to Christianity, you'd have legitimate questions about whether or not you could eat meat, or excuse me, could meet over lunch with business associates. Or if you could gather in those dining rooms with fellow members of your trade guild. What if someone prominent in the community, what if someone in your own family invited you to a reception in the temple for a relative's wedding? Knowledge says it's not wrong. You have the freedom and the right to go if you want to or not. Idols are nothing. Food offered to them is nothing. But Paul does not want these Christians to make choices based simply on knowledge that puffs up. For Paul, it's not about what you are able to do or about upholding your freedoms and your rights. You see, knowledge in this regards, for Paul in his context, knowledge, the way he's talking about it, it's about personal choice. It's about what can I do for myself in my own thinking and ways? What am I able to do? It does not consider how actions or words affect other people. Paul instead calls the people's attention to love, to build one another up, to consider seriously how do our actions affect our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So if we think about our slides for a moment, those temple dining rooms, Paul says, sure, you can eat in temple dining rooms. This comes up in our text, even though it's not necessarily translated that way. Because you are not actually participating in the worship to these other gods. Right? It's not the proper space where those rituals are taking place. But let's say a fellow follower of Jesus is around the temple that day. They're in the courtyard and they look over and they see you hanging out and eating with some business partners in that dining room. Because, well, you've got the freedom and the ability to do so. And they think to themselves, well, if that's okay for you, I got this invitation up to the temple, and maybe it's fine for me to go. My neighbor was inviting me to this sacrifice. It would really help with my standing in the community or help with a business deal that's coming up. 
to be part of the group there. I can be in the temple when rituals and sacrifices take place and I can drink the various cups that are passed around in those rituals. I can eat in the midst of the worship to Asclepius himself. Paul says if that's what happens, you just destroyed your fellow follower of Christ. Love, right? Not knowledge drives Paul to say, if I must, I will never eat meat again for the sake of my brother or sister in Christ. The life of following Jesus is not one in which we are to puff ourselves up with all the things that we can do. Rather, we are supposed to take a controlled life of controlling ourselves to be limiting and willing, rather, to limit ourselves in situations, to not carry out various abilities, rights, or freedoms we have. Because our deepest drive in Jesus is not meant to be, can I do this? But what does this do to the body of Christ? What does this do to my fellow Christians? What does it do to my congregation that I am a part of? This, again, is no small matter in those days, the issue of food If you choose to never eat in the temple dining room again, or as Paul says, to never eat meat again, that means possible disruption to relationships. It means possible loss and destruction to business deals, to status and standing in that community. The ramifications for these decisions in Corinth were big because they were about everyday activities and life in society. But Paul urges the people to be willing to lose if they must, all that goes along with it, if it means building up our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Lose those business deals if you must. Lose that social standing. Your fellow Christians are way more important. When we think about the work of the church today, some may think about the topic or the word evangelism, for instance, may come up. And when people hear evangelism, it's not uncommon to think of telling non-Christians about Jesus in hopes of them being converted by this good news. And please hear me out on this. That is a good and a wonderful thing that we get to be a part of. Paul talks about this as we get to proclaim the good news and the mysteries of God to the powers and authorities in the heavenly realms. It's a massive undertaking that God has brought us into to partner with. To share Christ with the world. But evangelism isn't simply about a moment of conversion. The word comes from the Greek word that we translate as good news or gospel. To evangelize is to do good news. It's to do gospel to people. I bring this up because it's fascinating to think that what Paul is deeply concerned about throughout this letter is doing evangelism to the church, to the people who are already followers of Jesus. That's what he's advocating for in this passage. All followers of Jesus need to continually encounter gospel. We all need to continually experience and encounter good news. It does not mean that we need to be reconverted or something like that, but rather We're going to do the gospel, and in doing so, we build one another up in love. And we strengthen the bonds that God has established for us in Christ. We are to continually be considering and acting on how we can control ourselves for the sake of one another. 
We are to be even willing to limit ourselves, to set aside knowledge or things that may puff us up or our rights or our freedoms of what we can do and get away with and instead strive to live in ways that build one another up, even if we must lose for it. Again, as Paul says, if I must never eat meat again, so be it. His personal desires, his personal knowledge are secondary, if that. Primary is the gospel that he is called to embody to his fellow believers, to love one another and build one another up as we come into the fullness of Christ. Our life together is supposed to be a continuous encounter with the living Jesus. We are his body, a body built together in love and the Spirit. We continue to experience his love and his sacrifice. We continue to experience the cross and the empty tomb through each other when we seek to build one another up in love. This is how the body of Christ grows and flourishes, as Paul tells the church in Corinth. And the more we evangelize one another, the more we do gospel to one another by learning to set aside our rights, and the more we are willing to set aside that which puffs us up in order to consider the lives of one another, the more we experience Jesus, the more we grow in love, the more Christ is glorified in our bodies and in this community of faith, and all the more the world too can experience his goodness through us for generations to come. See, evangelism, in some respects, is really about continuing to do the gospel so that the next generation can continue to love one another and bear Christ to each other and to the world. And we have the joy of being part of that today. Now, may this peace that is in Christ that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds as we continue to live in and do gospel to one another. Amen.